John chapter number 4, John chapter number 4, already been an interesting morning. Uh, our son uh, was singing in DBC and uh, hit himself on the nose with his own hand. How do boys do this stuff? I mean, like, it takes amazing talent, right? There's a part of me that wants to go, what are you doing? There's another part of me that goes, man, that's amazing. How'd you do that, you know? Uh, but uh, anyways, uh, the church rolls on. John chapter number four, we're going verse by verse in our Bible, uh, in the gospel of John in particular. And uh, there's a lot of things I could say about John this morning, just by way of repetition. It is, uh, it's is—it's got some things in the gospel, there's some things in the gospel of John that you will not find anywhere else. Um, and I was talking with my daughter about that on the way here. Uh, I, I'll give you one of those things. Uh, Peter getting restored to the Lord. If that, if that is not recorded in Scripture, you know what it looks like? It looks like Peter denies the Lord, and the next thing you know, in the book of Acts, he's preaching and 3,000 people get saved. And, and that's not how life works. There's, there's a reckoning that always has to happen between you and the Lord in order to move on. And so John records that, whereas no other gospel in, uh, in the Bible records it. Uh, John gives us the conversation about the new birth, John chapter 3. We already read about that. Uh, and there are several other places. John 7 talks about rivers of living water. Uh, John itself records several times, I am. I am the good, sh- uh, sh- the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am, so on and so forth. Why does it do that? Because John presents to us the divine nature of Jesus Christ. Uh, look at, uh, before you go to John, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to get into some of this a little bit this morning on the the blending of the, the understanding, if you will. And I use the word understanding kind of loosely because uh, as it relates to understanding the mystery of godliness, uh, I don't know that you'll ever really wrap your mind around it, right? If Jesus Christ, as the Bible says, is 100% God and 100% man, uh, which we believe, right, by faith, we believe that. Um, and, and by the way, there's no way, other way to explain certain things that he did without believing that. But, but we believe that, but, but it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around it. How do you have someone that's 100% human and yet 100% God? I, I, mean, I mean, think about this. God, the same one that, that, that flung the stars out into existence now comes as a baby in a manger and needs a diaper change. That's weird. That is. Right? But, but by faith, we believe it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And after we read this verse, I'm going to ask uh, Gideon, if you would, open us up in a word of prayer. First Timothy chapter 3. I'll look, if you would, at verse number 16. Without controversy. That means uh, if you're going to debate about it, that's on you. Because there's really no controversy, right? In other words, th- this is established fact because all truth comes from God. Uh, when someone says there's no absolute truth, okay, then I'm going to shoot you and take your car. No, 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 you can't. That's not right. Well, why not? Well, it's against the law. What, what, if, what if it becomes okay in the law? I mean, you realize there have been times in, in certain places throughout the world where taking someone's property was completely okay within the law and killing someone simply because of their race or gender or whatever else. And, and so here you are. You've got to be able to say there's an absolute right, there's an absolute wrong. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from God. So God says without controversy, in other words, if you're going to debate about it, you're wasting your time. I've established it as fact. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And let me just stress this. It is not he was manifest in the flesh or it was manifest. In, it's God was manifest in the flesh. That's the right wording. 
uh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. So what you're dealing with is a superman. You know, you ever, you ever think about that, that whole comic book? You got someone that comes from another planet. Uh, they got a fortress of solitude where they go talk to their father. You ever think about that? Where does that stuff come from? It comes from the Bible. Look, go back to John chapter number four, John four. And as you turn there, uh, Gideon, if you'd open us up in a word of prayer for our Sunday school hour. Amen. All right. Anybody know what we're trying to do in the month of May here at New Heights Baptist Church? Anybody? Attract a day in the month of May, right? Who's trying to do that? Who's trying to do that, right? I say trying because you may miss a day or whatever. Trying to do it. All right. Here's what's going to happen. When you start giving these things out, people are going to ask questions like, what is this? Right? And so you have an open door to, to converse, to talk with them about Jesus Christ. When you start talking to people about the gospel, you'll learn after a while there are certain arguments that come up over and over and over and over, or certain areas of doubt that will come up over and over in people's minds that will keep them, if you don't help them get past those, that will keep them from hearing what they need to hear. All right, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever try to talk to someone about the gospel and they bring up, well, I'm a Catholic or I'm, I'm a Methodist or I'm this or I'm that. And it's like, look, man, God's not checking cards in heaven. You're either saved or you're lost, right? Uh, but, but there are things that people bring up kind of almost like a, uh, I don't know, like an, a force field, like, well, this isn't going to penetrate, and you've got to find a way to get around it. Uh, Jesus, I think the greatest example in the entire Bible about how to deal with people when it comes to their soul and the, the, the longings of their soul, the issues of their life, is here in John 4. Look at John 4, uh, verse number uh, uh, 4, uh, verse number 1, rather. And when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he, and he must needs go through Samaria. I'm going to stop there. Let me just say this much. There's a principle uh, there in verse number two that I think is pretty critical to get a hold of. Um, you need to understand this. The Lord has called you to, if you're saved, the Lord has called you to labor for him. And let me go a step further. He's called you to labor with him, which is an honor and a privilege. All right, but, but notice in verse number one, let me ask you a question. Uh, who is being credited with the baptism? Verse one, Jesus. All right, how about verse two? The disciples. Not, it's not a trick question. Everyone's like, I ain't answering. I'm not saying anything. So in verse one, is Jesus getting credited for the baptism. And then in verse number two, it's the disciples getting credited for the baptism. Uh, you, you know what that shows you? The Lord, it's the Lord's work. It's not ours, all right? But it's His work to do through us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, a principle you need to get a hold of. When, when the Lord is saying, hey, I want you to go talk to that person, or hey, I want you to get involved in that ministry, uh, that's not really where you ought to be like, well, I don't really want to. I don't have time for it. That's God inviting you to be a part of something supernatural and eternal. First Corinthians chapter three, look if you would at verse 
Number nine, for we are laborers together. What are the next two words? With God. With God. Not, not for God, but with God. That's important to get a hold of. The Lord is inviting you to labor with Him. It's, it's His work through you. And, and I think one of the, the hard things that, that, that people struggle with in ministry is either they come to a place where they go, it's God's work and I need to do nothing, right? Almost like an over-hyper-Calvinistic approach to things. Like, God is doing it, I don't need to do anything. That's not true. That's called laziness, okay? All right? And, and, but the other extreme is, I've got to do it. I, Siri, I don't need to talk to you right now. Isn't it amazing? I've li- there are times where I've literally said, hey, you, hey, you, hey, you. It doesn't say anything. I'm preaching, blah, 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 blah. The devil's in this thing. All right. Anyways, uh, so you, you understand the other extreme is I've got to do it, and there's no thought, there's no concept that it's God's work. So when people rub you the wrong way in ministry, if you're not aware that it's God's work, you'll snap at them, and you'll rip people apart when all they need is some healing. You know why? Because it's God's work. But if you forget that, then it's all about what I'm doing, and they're not paying attention, and they're not contributing like I am. You know what happens in ministry? You've got Martha syndrome. You say, what is that? Lord, I'm busy. I'm doing everything, and look at stupid Mary over here. Lord, when are you going to address Mary? All she's doing is sitting down and listening, and Lord, I, I just get her to do something. The Lord's like, actually, since you brought it up, Martha, um, she's actually doing a good thing. You say, what is that? You kind of have to be aware of when it's time to sit down and shut up and when it's time to get up and do something. And you say, what does that go back to? Leadership of the Holy Spirit. And remember that the ministry, it's a weird dynamic because you know what you want people to do? You want them to take ownership in the sense of accountability. But you don't want them to take ownership to the extent they go, this is mine. You know, this is not even Pastor Eight. This is God's. <laughs> I've met some pastors who think the church is theirs. This, this is not a corporation with a CEO. Running. This is a pastor and God's the body of Christ assembled here to get the ministry, get the gospel out, and push forward the ministry of Jesus Christ in this local church. You know what that takes? A mindset of a servant. Look at Philippians, if you would. Philippians. You know what it is? God, in the end, God gets the credit. God gets the credit. Uh, Philippians. You may or may not remember the story. Philippians chapter, I'm sorry, uh, chapter, I'm uh, looking for, I got the wrong reference. Uh, I think it may be chapter 1. Um, no, chapter 2, sorry about that. Uh, chapter 2, look if you would at verse 5. Have the right mindset. You want to have a ministry mindset? Here it is. The ministry mindset is simply this. It's that it's God's work. I've got a responsibility in it. But at the end of the day, he gets the credit. I'm not the owner, I'm the servant. And people have a hard time with ministry because they forget what defines the word. Oftentimes they'll say, oh, that guy, I, you know, I've been in, you know, uh, uh, corporate settings and they know I'm a pastor. They go, oh, Adrian's a minister. And what they really think is that they expect me to go, oh, you know, like some kind of, some kind of like, you know, high, halo and light shines down. You know what a minister is? It's a servant. That's what a minister is. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he's, he's God manifest in the flesh, we saw that, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of what? And took upon him the form of a what? You know what a servant doesn't say? This is mine. 
Uh, you know, the first time the word, uh, there's, a, there's another word in your Bible that I would encourage you to uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, look at verse number, I think it's 2. Um, someone correct me if I'm wrong. But it mentions uh, that uh, there's something that's required in stewards. Verse number 1, verse 2, verse 1, 2. All right. All right, so uh, look at verse 2. It is required in stewards that a man be found what? Not talented. Not talented. Uh, I was talking with uh, my daughter about this, talking about the balance when it comes to music, because you ought to give it your best. And if you can harmonize, harmonize. And if you can do stuff really well, do it really well. Uh, But you never want music to become so professional in a church that it's all about the talent, because then you lose sight of the ministry aspect. Every once in a while, I think you ought to get someone up there that can't hold a tune in a bucket. And some of you are like, that's me. Come on up. Come on up. You know why? Because you know what it is? It's supposed to be ministry. And if that's the best you can do and you're doing the best you can for Jesus Christ, this ain't America's Got Talent, people. All right? And and this is not American Idol or The Voice or whatever. You know, we're going to have spinning chairs and we turn around and go, oh, let's get get that one. That's not where we're at. All right? We, we live in a modern church age where this is idea where everything's entertainment. I came to church to be... No, you did not come to church to be entertained. You should have come to church to be ministered unto. Those are two different things. All right? So the idea is this. If you are a servant, you are also... There's another word in, in your Bible that is uh, synonymous uh, with that, and here it is. Steward. Uh, matter of fact, I won't have you go there, but back in the book of Genesis, it uses the, the term steward and servant interchangeably for a man named Eliezer, the man that was the steward, the head servant in Abraham's house. So you know what that means? When I come to church, I shouldn't be thinking who's going to shake my hand. I should be thinking who can I be a blessing to. I shouldn't be thinking what programs are here for my kids and my kids have these needs. I should walk in with my children going, what can we do to be? Now, look. When you're visiting for the first time, we understand it's different. You don't know the lay of the land and all that. I'm talking about our regulars. When you come to church, it shouldn't be about us. It should be about him and other people. And that's what ministry is all about. Matter of fact, you're going to learn this. The Lord Jesus Christ is hungry in John chapter 4. And uh, you know what he never gets? It's funny. He doesn't get two things in John 4. He's hungry and he's thirsty. He doesn't get fed and he doesn't get a drink. You say, why? He's busy. What's he busy doing? Ministering to somebody else. And ministering to somebody else that probably thought he's the last person that would want to talk to me. I want you to envision in your mind right now, who, what does that person look like that in your mind you go, that's, that's the person I'd be scared of talking to. Now, for some of you, it might be, you know, uh, uh, someone driving around in a Mercedes in a three-piece suit. Uh, for some of you, it might be someone that looks like they just came out of a gang, out of prison. For some of you, it might, I don't know what it might be. It might be someone that you can look at and go, uh, man, that just, they just make me uncomfortable. I'm going to say something to make everybody uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes, and it, look, this is not a, a matter of, of righteousness. It's just a matter of human nature. Sometimes when you're around people that you are not accustomed to being around, maybe someone from a different race, oh, he just said the word, the R word. It, maybe sometimes you're a little uncomfortable. Can I tell you this? It's good to get out of your comfort zone and talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to. All right. I, I think this. I think if you're nice and proper and you've been raised in church your whole entire life, it's it's incumbent upon you to find someone that looks the exact opposite from you and go witness to them. 
And I think this, I think if you just look like you just fell out of a, a, a tackle box and you got piercings all over you and you're all tatted up and everything else, you ought to find someone that's driving a nice car, dressed really nice, and go talk to them. You say, why? Just to, just to put your flesh down. Just to remind you it's not about your talent, it's about God, and it's about ministering to other people. And so in this chapter, you find one of the greatest chapters on soul winning and on the ministry, which is God's work, our hands, but at the end of it all, his credit. Look, if you would, back at John chapter number four, John chapter number four, John chapter four. And, and by the way, uh, there's some wisdom you can glean from the Lord when it comes to ministry as well. You know, there are some things that matter more than others. You know that in, in, in your life. Uh, if every, listen to me, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. You're going to have to learn to sacrifice certain things in order to gain certain other things. All right? Uh, we all like to watch the Olympics. I can tell you this. They do not show up in whatever stadium that is uh, without ever having trained and just give it their best and somehow get the gold. That is years and years. You know what some of those kids are doing? They're at the ice skating rink when their friends are playing laser tag. They're, they're, they're practicing their things over, and they're at the gym for hours and hours. That is literally their life. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and make that your life. What I'm saying is, this ought to be your life. And ministering to others ought to be your life. And it should not be seen. I think, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is we look at missionaries, we go, oh man, isn't it amazing that those people would sell what they have and move somewhere for the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know what you ought to do as a Christian in America? You ought to say, Lord, what job do you want me to have for the furtherance of the gospel? Well, I got one. Thank you. Uh, you know what most people think? Who's going to give me the most money and what are the benefits? I'm not saying that's, not a bad, that's a bad thing. I'm also not saying you ought to take a vow of poverty to serve God. My point is simply this. When was the last time you made a move in your life based strictly on, well, there's a good church there. That's where God wants me. I want to get involved. I want to serve. Or you know what? There's more opportunity to minister. Me and Ben were talking about this yesterday. Uh, has anyone noticed in the last 10 years that Colorado is kind of going in the wrong direction, socially speaking? We are the number one state for car theft right now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. I mean, like, like there's, you know, I mean, I mean, who would have thunk that if you legalize drugs, bad stuff would happen? right? Well, here we are, you know, 10, 10 or 11 years later after the fact, and we're reaping the consequences of all that. Now, having said that, me and Ben were talking about it yesterday. Uh, what do all the Christians do? Well, let's move to Texas. There's, it's more conservative there. Let's move to Florida. It's easier to raise your kids there. Well, if you do that, let me ask you a question. What happens to Colorado? You have to have a ministry mindset to think that way, though. You know what Jesus does? He puts himself in a very awkward situation for a Jew, he walks right into Samaria where he knows he's not wanted. Matter of fact, uh, go in your Bibles to, uh, let's see here if I can find the reference. Um, no, that's not it. I'm looking for the reference where uh, uh, James and John want to call down fire from heaven. If anyone finds that, let me know. I had it in my notes here somewhere. I can't find it at the moment. Uh, but let me, let me just say this much. Uh, look at John 4. Look, if you would, at verse... Uh, number uh, three, verse number three, all right? He left Judea, this is about Jesus, and departed again into Galilee. Now that's going from south to north. And then it says in verse four, he must needs go through Samaria. And we're gonna talk about that in a moment. But can, can I point out what's really going on here? Look back at verse one. You know what the Pharisees are doing? Uh, they they wanna fight. They wanna take Jesus Christ down. Now let me say this, there are times where he confronts them face to face and there are other times where he goes, I've got more important things to do. 
I just told you a second ago, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. So for the sake of the gospel, can I, can I just say this? Sometimes some arguments aren't worth it. Some fights aren't worth it. All right, let me tell you right now, um, I bleed red, white, and blue, not just because of the Puerto Rican flag, but the American flag as well, all right? And, and I love my country, and I'm very patriotic, and if you want to talk to me about communism versus capitalism after church, I'd be glad to give you a dissertation. No problem with that at all. How, however, having said that, let me ask you a question. What do I accomplish when I get online and argue with strangers about that when they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Uh, you, you're living in a generation where everyone thinks they, ha- they should be heard and they have a platform. And, and listen, you might be heard, but it doesn't mean that you should be taking advantage of that. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not. All things are lawful, but, but listen, all things edify not. So you know what? Some fights are just not worth it. You know, uh, you come to church, and after a while, listen, when you first get saved, everything's glorious, right? Everyone's perfect. No one could do any wrong. Then you start realizing they're human beings just like everybody, just like I am, amen? They got the same flesh that I do, and then I get to know them, and I realize, man, sometimes they are annoying. <laughs> Awkward laugh. You say, why? Because it's true, right? We, sometimes we just, we rub each other the wrong way. Preston, are you going to make it, son? Do we need to take you and just cut the nose off? No? Okay. Praise God. All right. Uh, poor buddy was up here and, and got excited with the singing and whacked himself in the nose and the rest is history. I'm glad he's all right. Uh, so, but, but here's what I'm trying to get, get at, guys, is after a while, you know what you'll start doing? You'll start picking people apart. Church people are the worst about it if you get too inwardly focused. Listen very carefully. If you don't have a ministry mindset and you're not always thinking about who needs the gospel, who needs to be edified, who needs to be ministered unto, You'll notice everyone's flaws and you'll pick them apart. You know what you notice about the Pharisees? They're always talking about someone else. They're always, running their, they're always involved in someone else's business. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? I don't know. Sometimes I don't need to have an opinion about it. You know what I'd rather do? I'd rather leave those fights to someone else and go find someone that needs my help. You know what Jesus did? Look, look, they, were, they were coming at him, and he goes, you know what, boys? We'll have this fight some other time. Someone else needs us right now. And so he leaves Judea, and he goes up to a place where he's probably, frankly, uh, wanted just as little as the place that he was leaving. All right? Look at, uh, let, me, let me show you something. Look at John chapter 2. John chapter 2. John cha- we already went through this before, uh, but there's a principle. John chapter 2, look if you would at verse 4. And when Mary approaches the Lord about uh, the need for wine, which according to the Bible, we know there's new wine and old wine, another study for another time. Uh, We already went through that. But when Jesus is approached by his mom, look what he says at the end of that verse. Mine hour is not yet come. You know what the Lord was very aware of? There was going to come a time where they're going to physically assault him and he would have to surrender and go to the cross. And you know, he knew the time wasn't here yet. He was very aware of what the Lord, the, and, and I want to be careful because he's God manifest in the flesh, but he had to learn obedience, Hebrews, and to follow the Father's will. Great example for us, for us to know where we're at in life, to have enough discernment to go, you know what, this fight is not one that I need to fight right now. This fight is one that God's going to take care of right now. I need to go minister to somebody else. Why? Mine hour is not yet come. Eventually, several, by the way, there are several times in the Gospel of John, mine hour's not yet come, mine hour's not yet come, mine hour's not yet come. But in John chapter 12, you know what he says? The hour's come. He knew, okay, now it's time to like, the gloves are off, let's do what we got to do. Up until that point, you know what he does? When fights come his way, he goes that way. You say, why? Because there's other things to do. 
And in your life, let me just say this much as a Christian, you got to learn not every fight is worth it. Not every fight is one you got to fight right now. Uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is Sunday school. You say, what are you doing? Learning the scriptures, amen? Going from one passage to another, 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And notice something that Paul says here in verse number 12, giving some uh, uh, closing comments to his first letter to Timothy. Fight the, what kind of fight? There are two descriptors in this, uh, of what this fight, uh, of what, how you can describe this fight. Number one, it's good. You know what that tells me? Not every fight is good. Some fights aren't worth it. And uh, the other thing is, it's a good fight of faith. It's not just your opinion that you're arguing about. You understand that? You can argue with people about your opinion all day long. Th- those things are immaterial. What really matters is what did God actually say? Stand on that. What my point is this. Uh, Jesus understood that not every fight has to be fought now. My kingdom, watch it, is not now of this world. He's going to come back someday and establish a literal physical kingdom on this earth. You know how he's going to do it? You know how he's going to kick it off? By physical warfare. But you know what he told them when they came to arrest him in John 18? My kingdom is not now of this world. He was aware of the Father's plan. And look, we are not necessarily going to be as in tune with the Father as Jesus was. Or you might think there's no way I could ever. But let me ask you, me ask you this. Why was Jesus Christ in tune with the Father's will? Oh, because he was God, manifest in the flesh. I don't think that's the answer. I think the answer was submission. It was, I am in tune with the Father's will because I am being led by the Spirit of God. Not my emotions, not my opinion, not my preferences, not my desire, but his will. Not my will, but thine be done. And so if you as a child of God want that, you need that in your life to do what he wants you to do. And if you want it, you can have it. Go back to John chapter 4. But you'll have to learn this. uh, Not every fight and not every argument is one you need to get involved in. Someone will call me and go, do you hear about so-and-so? Nope. What do you think? I don't have a comment. You say, why? It's better that way. It's better that way. I don't need to get involved. You know the Bible says about a a man that meddles in other man's businesses? You know what he calls it? You know what he says about that? It's like grabbing a dog by the ears and shaking it. The implication is you are going to get bit. And when you get bit, don't go, oh, I'm suffering for the Lord. No, you're suffering for you. Big difference. Uh, John chapter 4. John 4, the Lord shows us, again, that not every fight is worth fighting for, but also, let me point this out, look at verse 4, He's, it says this, describing what the Lord is doing, he must needs go through Samaria, he must needs go through Samaria, uh, let, me, let me just say this much, or more of a question, I guess, when you look at your schedule this week, where do you need to go, what do you need to do, is, is any of it ever based off of reaching somebody else, you know, you know the, the Lord, he didn't, listen, I'm sorry, there's, there's ways around things. Look at uh, Luke chapter 9. I think that this is the reference I was looking for. Look at Luke chapter 9. One time, he goes into a village of the Samaritans, and we talked about who the Samaritans are last uh, time we did this. He goes into a village of the Samaritans, uh, just like he is right now in John 4, and they don't receive him. They, they basically say, we don't want you around. Uh, you say, why? He's a Jew, they're Samaritans, all right? And you're going to learn through this chapter, this lady throws at him like every single argument you can throw. She goes, well, we're from different cultures. You're Jewish, I'm Samaritan. Uh, uh, You're a man, 
I'm a woman. There's the gender argument. There's a cultural argument. Uh, we worship in this mountain. You worship in that mountain. There's the religious argument. And can I just say this? Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ kept the main thing, the main thing. He did not argue about politics or culture or who's right and who's wrong and all these little minutiae details. All he did is he go, yep, but you know what you're missing out on is living water. He brought it back to the very need that that woman had. That is a great soul winner. That's someone that understands that, listen, when people deflect and bring up arguments like that, it's not because that's the real issue. Uh, I talked to someone not that long ago. They were sitting right over here. Uh, and, uh, and, and after church, it was me and Richard and a couple guys and talking to this young man. And he says, what about this? And what about that? I finally said, look, I can answer every one of your questions. If I did, would you say that you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know what he said? I don't know. I said, you know what the real issue is? It's not about Noah's flood. It's not about where Cain got his wife. It's not about any of that stuff. You know what it's about? It's about you don't want to submit to truth. You know it's right. You don't want it, so you're deflecting all these other things out there. And if you learn to deal with people, you got to learn to deal with that. You got to not get mad at them and not, you know, but, but kind of get to the point and go, hey, you're missing the real issue. Because if I answered all these questions and you reject Jesus Christ, you will have a lot of knowledge about God and die and go to hell. So you miss the whole thing, right? Uh, look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And let me just say this much. Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. But it says he had to. But he didn't. You know what that tells you? He had to because of his desire. He had to because of his passion. It wasn't like he had to go. There's ways around places. Am I not right about that? You can find an alternate route. As a matter of fact, they did in another place. Look at Luke chapter 9. Verse number 51, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not what? Receive him. Just like it says in John 1, as many as received him to them give you power to become the sons of God. They did not receive him in their town because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. Now, let me show you what, what James and John, they're like, okay, here's our alternate ministry plan. You ready for it? Verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? I love it. Like, uh, since they're not accepting us, can we just have them killed? You know, can we just burn them all up? And the Lord responds uh, in verse 55. He turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you're of, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. But, but look, at verse 50, look at the end of verse 56. They went somewhere else. You know what that shows me? He did not have to go to this particular town where this particular woman was going to be going to that particular well. You say, why did he have to go? Because he wanted to reach that woman. Is this starting to make sense? Like, in other words, where in your life do you go, I've got to do this, and at the core of it, it's not your dog or your family or your money or your job. It's someone else that needs Jesus Christ. Where will you break your schedule? Where will you break your, your, your idea of what your life needs to look like in order to help somebody else? Too many Christians go, well, that's the preacher's job. You are not part of a Catholic ideology here, guys. There's no priestly class and then everybody else. We are all priests in, God's, uh, in the body of Christ. We are all to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord. Yes, I am called to full-time ministry. As the pastor of this church, that does not absolve you as a Christian from doing what you can to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You also are a part of that ministry. Look, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 
You say, Pastor, I thought this was Sunday school and you were just going to teach. We're going to call this preaching. It's kind of teaching and preaching at the same time, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look if you would at verse uh, number uh, 18. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to, what's the next word? Not me, not the Apostle Paul, not the ministry of apostleship. He's given unto us the ministry of what? You know what that is? To bring others to Jesus Christ. Just like someone did that for you. You know what Jesus is doing? Go back to John chapter 4. You know what he's doing? He's carrying forth the ministry of reconciliation. He's going and seeking someone out that, by the way, is out of his way. It's a place where he would stand out. It's a place where he might be rejected. Uh, It's a place where he uh, would not automatically fit, uh, fit in. And yet it says he must needs go through Samaria. Uh, let, me, let me just, again, challenge you one more time. This week, when you lay out your schedule, will there be any time, any place in that schedule where you go, I need to reach that, I need to pray for that person. I need to talk to that person about Jesus. I need to reach out to that. Now, don't do this. We haven't seen you in months. Where you been? Don't do that. Reach out to them and say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? You know what I've learned? When I reach out to someone and they haven't been around for a while and go, hey, how's it going? They automatically like, just want to tell me why they haven't been at church. And I don't need to hear any of that. I just I want you to know I care about you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. I, I ran into someone yesterday and right away like, oh, man, our kid's sports. I said, look, man, don't worry about it. I'm just glad to see you. I and mean, when you can make it back, come on back. We'll have the doors open for you. Amen. But the idea is this, though. Our job is to reconcile people to the Lord. Those starting with those that are lost. And then with those that are saved as well, you've got Christians who, and let me ask you this question, you ever, you ever backslide a little bit? Now look, if you were raised in church, it's second nature to be in church. But let me tell you something right now, someone that gets saved a couple months ago, and they start struggling in things, and you don't see them, I, I've heard, now thankfully never in our church, but I've heard Christians say, I knew they wouldn't make it. Stinking Pharisee. What did you do to help them? Not a stinking thing. When someone talks that way, you know what their problem is? They're bitter. And they're usually bitter about their own failures and they want to project it on other people. You say, what are you doing? This is called, I guess we could just call this ministry 101 or other things I've learned in the last 12 years of my life, you know? Uh, but the, the, the point is this. The point is that the Lord went out of his way to reach this woman and to give her the gospel. And the idea is this. It should be the same with us. I look at John chapter 4. Look at John 4. And, and look, if you would, at verse number uh, five. Then he cometh to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, gives you the name of the city, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So there's historical context there for why the Samaritans would say, hey, we're just as much Jews as you guys are. And obviously there's a cultural conflict there. And the cultural conflict comes, we read it last week in Second Kings when the king of Assyria brought the, the Jewish priests back to the land, but he had them mixed with people from all over the world in that part of the world, and they brought their gods into the land, and they didn't know what to do, so they bring the Jewish priests back, and they kind of mix the, the gods of the heathen with the God of the Bible, and it's kind of a mess. And ever since then, the Samaritans and the Jews, man, they don't get along. And so there's cultural conflict there. Look, if you would, at verse number six. Now, Jacob's well was there. So this means like we've got claim to something that historically is of value to the Jewish people, and it's on our turf, right? And so the Lord goes, and what does he do? He sits on this well. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, uh, uh, 
theologians have argued uh, the sixth hour. Is it Roman or is it Jewish? In other words, if you're talking about a Roman uh, hour or the Roman day, right, the, the Roman day basically starts at midnight, right, and goes to, you know, uh, 1159, right? Kind of how we do it right now. Uh, the Jewish day is basically sunrise to sunset, generally 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., right? And so in the Jewish day, the sixth hour would be noon. The argument against it being noon is they go, well, that doesn't make any sense because that's the heat of the day and people don't come to get their water in the heat of the day. But let me subscribe to you a different thought. I believe it is the sixth hour according to the Jewish day, and here's why. Uh, did you ever notice how much time Jesus has with this woman one-on-one and no one else ever shows up? You ever notice that he sends his disciples to buy meat, kind of giving the implication that it's lunchtime in the market? Do you ever notice that, that not only that, but when you start digging into this lady's story, she's not exactly someone that you go, now, young ladies, you need to follow her example. Uh, she's, a, how shall we say, maybe a woman of the night, not someone that's got a great reputation. So maybe she would come to the well when, think about it, nobody else is coming. And so she comes to the well when nobody else is there, expecting not to run into anybody, and guess who she finds? Isn't that something? Aren't you thankful for the times in your life where nobody else wants you around, but Jesus is there sitting and waiting for you? And Jesus is sitting there on that well. And uh, let me just say this much. It's very clear that in verse 7, look at verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Now, I know for some of you going, what a male chauvinistic pig, how dare he? First off, you need to understand the culture. That was, there was nothing wrong or out of turn or out of place in the culture for him to go, hey, give me something to drink. The response, however, that she has is very interesting. Uh, by the way, verse 8 gives you a parenthetical thought. The reason the disciples aren't there is they're on an errand. They went to Walmart. They went to King Supers to get something. And the Lord's talking with this woman. Look at verse 9. Then say it, the, or, or if you're Spanish speaking, it's not Walmart. Walmart. We want Walmart, you know. Um, but look at, sorry, I had to throw that out there. Uh, look at verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, cultural argument, askest drink of me, which am a woman, gender argument, of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Now, let me give you some personal experience. I've been out street preaching before. I've been out passing out tracts before. And someone comes up to me, and, and they're of a different persuasion, we shall say. And they go, uh, so you think I'm going to hell because I'm gay? First off, my name's Adrian. It's nice to meet you. Like, let's start there, you know. And secondly, no, I don't think that. I don't think that for a minute. I think the reason, if you, if you are going to hell, the reason you're going to hell is because you rejected Jesus Christ. Right. Period, plain and simple. But they want to make it about something else. I don't care to argue about that. I know where I line up with that ideologically. I know what I believe about that. I'm not going to sit there and talk with some guy about the choices and the things that led up to the choices in their lives. I don't want to waste my time with that. We're all sinners. (laughs) And we can deal with that after the guy gets saved. But let's talk about this first. Why waste time talking to somebody unless you believe that the only way to get to heaven is to clean up your act, which is not what the Bible says about salvation at all. If you could clean up your act, you would not need a Savior. Uh, so the Calvinist says, the, the old time, the old school Calvinist the theology was this. If you persevere unto the end of your life, that means you are genuinely saved. It's really a, a bizarre ideology because it says this. You can't work for it. You can't even accept salvation. It just happens to you. But the way to prove that you are saved is by living a clean life. Look, I'm going to tell you right now. If you're saved, you ought to live a clean life. 
but not, to pr- not, not because you're, you're trying to make your way into heaven, but rather because you want to be a testimony for Jesus Christ. Here's this woman whose life is clearly a mess, and she's bringing up every argument she can to kind of get away from it. Verse 9, look at this. Then said the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Does Jesus go into the historical argument? Look at verse 10. Is there any, well, you guys know in 2 Kings you guys blew it, right? I mean, I mean, really, this is your guys' fault. You guys shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have mixed with those people. You shouldn't have adopted their gods. You shouldn't have, you know, let the leftists take over the school. Whatever else you could throw in there for all the things going on wrong in our society today. You should have all, okay, but that's, that's not really the issue. That's a deflection. I, I sat down with people that are married wanting some, some, some counseling, and I asked them, are you reading your Bible? Say, people, why does that matter? It matters all, in, it's everything. It's your walk with God. What do you mean? It, why am I asking you that? You want me to help you in your marriage, but how, what source are we going to go to? You want me to point out verses in a book you're not reading to help you in your marriage, and somehow me pointing the verses out is going to make you a better Christian? Read the book yourself. So you know what I'm getting at? There, there are things that, that oftentimes people look at and they think that's the issue. That's not the issue. The real issue is over here. And you have to have enough discernment as a Christian and not get involved in all the arguments that people want to throw out. Now, there comes a point where you may have to address certain things. Someone brings up creation and evolution. It's okay to, to go down that road for a little bit and just point out some common sense things to them. But man, I wouldn't make that the core of the, of the, the conversation. I'd bring it back to salvation as soon as I could. You know what Jesus does? Look at verse number 10. Uh, Jesus doesn't waste a lot of time there. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God... And who it is that saith to give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Now, he gets right to it. He gets, he gets right past the culture, right past the religion, right past the gender, and goes, let's go talk about this over here. And you notice, look at verse number 11. She starts asking questions, and, and she's still not there yet. It's still all about the physical. But, but eventually, look down, if you would, at verse number uh, 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 15. You know what she says? Sir, give me this water. He eventually gets her on the right track. You know how? By keeping the main thing the main thing. (laughs) Now look back at verse 7. I want to point something out because we kind of skipped over this, and we'll stop here. But in verse 7, there cometh the one of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. You know what that shows me? He's thirsty. Look if you would at verse 6. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey. I just want to talk to you just for a second. We'll, We'll finish the thought next week about the humanity. Brother, if you go to the next slide the humanity of Jesus Christ, all right? And I know we spent a lot of time talking about his divinity. In other words, how he is God manifest in the flesh, but I never want us to lose sight of the fact that he was still 100% man. You say, why does that matter? You know what you're tempted to think sometimes? He doesn't know what it's like. Oh, yeah, he does. He's rejected by his friends. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be tired. There's not one thing you can go through in life. You go, well, he doesn't know what it's like to be married. Yeah, well, you got me on that one, I guess. But kind of, kind of. You see, he's got this bride that doesn't always listen to him. Does he slap her around? Nope, he lays down his life for her. Knowing that she still isn't always going to follow him. Now, someday up there, it's going to be perfect union. But down here, it isn't that way. So there's not one thing you can go through in your life. That you can't, he doesn't know what it's like. Yeah, he does. 
Uh, the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Can I go one step further? He paid taxes, people. I mean, you know, as Americans, the Lord doesn't know what it's like to deal with the IRS. He had the Roman government. They weren't exactly friendly, okay? What I'm getting at is this. When you start ministering to people, you're going to realize it takes something out of you. And if you're not careful, you'll start making it all about you, and you should be making it about him. And remember, he's been there. He's done that. And if you stay in tune with him, you can have the power to do what he's called you to do to help other people. I'm going to show you next week there's a progression that this lady has where she starts off talking about him as just a man. Then eventually she sees that he's more than a man. Then eventually she sees that he is the Christ, the Son of God. Let's all stand. We'll have a word of prayer and be dismissed and take a 10-minute break there. Hope the Lord spoke to you this morning through the time we had in John chapter 4. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God, how rich it is, how much it reminds us of, Lord, our needs and the needs of others. Lord, uh, I pray you'd help us somewhere in this week, Lord, to, uh, to say to ourselves, I have to. Lord, not really because I have to, because like, it's mandatory, it's obligated, but rather because I want to. Lord, I have a burning desire to tell someone else about Jesus Christ. I have a burning desire to help someone besides me. Lord, would you make us more like you? Would you make us ministers? Lord, help us remember our place as servants, as stewards of the ministry of reconciliation. God, we love you. We thank you for John 4. Thank you for, Lord, sitting down in a place where maybe nobody else wanted to talk to us and you talked to us. Lord, thank you for waiting on us. Lord, the timing was perfect. It was spot on. Lord, you knew exactly when she was coming. Just like you know when we're not in the right place and when we're moving to a certain place, Lord, you're, you're always there. Lord, thank you for being who you are. We love you. We ask your blessing on the next hour. Lord, I do pray for anyone here that isn't saved that today would be the day of their salvation. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll take a break there.